Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Tired of your business's healthcare costs unpredictably increasing every year? Healthcare costs are typically a business's second or third line item expense. And if you're like most employers, it's an expense that's growing faster than your revenue. Luckily for employers, Novetta Health has the solution. Novetta Health is a full-service healthcare consulting firm with proven strategies to lower your healthcare costs by up to 30% or more. They operate on a fee-for-service model and never mark up any of their medical or pharmaceutical claims. None of your employees have to leave their doctor or pharmacist either. Their health captive and pharmacy benefit manager are the most cost-effective and transparent solutions in the whole country. What they do is not magic, it's just honest. So if you're tired of overspending on health insurance and want to learn more, visit outcomesrocket.health save for a free spend analysis to see how you too could save by switching to Novetta Health. That's outcomesrocket.health save for your free spend analysis. Outcomesrocket.health save. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Bodo. He's a founder of Dev4X. Dev4X is an open innovation organization that develops audacious social projects, leveraging the collective intelligence of the crowd. Current projects? Well, they're working on an economy for solving grand challenges. It helps innovators create innovation bricks that tackle specific problems. It helps entrepreneurs use those bricks, stack them together, and create viable businesses. If you're listening to this, that might be you. And it helps investors fund successful innovation in a positive sum economy, where an investment in one is an investment in many. Building a robotic exoskeleton arm for his daughter, who recently became paralyzed, is something that has been the core of his focus. An exoskeleton that turned out to be 100 times cheaper, 10 times lighter, and one that enabled her motor neurons to repair themselves. They did this without any previous experience, leveraging the collective intelligence of experts around the world who gave over their time and skills to help. You could find more information on that in the information we're going to give you later in the episode, but a little more on Bodo. He loves working on audacious projects that tackle hard problems and are for the greater good. So it's a privilege to have him here today with us. Bodo, with that, I want to welcome you and give you an opportunity to share a little bit about yourself that I haven't touched on. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And that bio sounds a little too good. Um, (laughs) You're doing some good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been working on open innovation projects for a number of years, um, about a decade, maybe maybe even 15 years, and working on, on solving problems in a way that requires me to, to reach out to experts from a variety of different fields to help me solve particular parts of the challenge that I'm, that I'm trying to work on. And um, this started quite naturally or evolved quite, quite, quite organically. And it's now morphed into a process that I take on and, and that my company takes on to try and solve big audacious problems that honestly we don't think of them as as being realistically solvable but mm. we try to tell, like, tackle these big audacious challenges because it's fun and it's interesting and and if we happen to to succeed then then that's awesome but if we don't then we at least we have some some fun trying to solve those problems and then i've i've had the great fortune of of now 
also paying the bills by doing this work. Awesome. I initially spent the first 10 years doing this as, as a volunteer, but more and more this way of solving problems has become pretty valuable. And, and now I can start paying the bills doing, doing this type, type of stuff. Well, I think that's awesome. And again, you know, just kind of thinking through typical cycles to profitability, it started as a social good project and it still is. And now it's yeah. uh, getting funded so, and helping people. So a testament that you stay with something long enough, it'll eventually pay off so long as you're adding value. Yeah. And the work that Bodo is doing here is certainly adding value. The things that come to mind here, Bodo, are this idea of the mastermind, right? Putting more than one head together to achieve a greater good and, and just this hyper focus on, on the niche that you're, you're focused on here with healthcare. I'm fascinated by it. I know there's other, other areas that you guys are tackling, but the core of it was healthcare to begin with. So curious from your end, Bodo, in, in your experience and the time that you've been doing this, we obviously know why you, you got in. So what's a hot topic today that needs to be on health leaders' minds and how can you and your organization help them solve it? I'm speaking about this as a parent who had a child uh, go through some really terrible uh, illness. So she was completely healthy the morning I left for work. She had just complained about her, her left arm feeling a little numb and tingling. Mm -hmm. and, uh, how old was she when this happened? She was about five years old. And I left for work. I told her, you know, don't worry, you probably slept on it or, or you, you bumped it during the night. Don't worry, things will be okay. And I didn't think anything of it and left for work. And five hours later, she was in the PIC and her body was almost completely paralyzed. Wow. She had lost, at that stage, already 80% of her movement. She couldn't stand. She couldn't sit. She struggled to breathe. Um, her left arm was completely paralyzed. But to answer the question is, is really, in, in that circumstance, speaking to the doctors and, and, and going through that process, what struck me struck me really profoundly is, is how we were, were expected to be passive participants in the healthcare story that we were expected to do as, as we were told and, and follow the instructions as we were told. And, and we didn't really have any input. And this kind of reminded me, and it was, it was so vivid in my mind because it reminded me exactly on, about a project that I was working on at that time. It was an educational project where we were trying to devise a, a technological solution to the huge educational crisis where there's you know, 250 million kids who can't go to school and or don't have good education because they are treated like passive students. Um, they're expected to sit down, shut up, and, and do as the, as the teacher tells you. This is how you should think. This is what you should do. And I recalled that feeling. That's the type of educational experience I went through as a kid. And I recalled all those feelings sitting in the hospital, hearing the doctor tell me one thing. But unknown to the doctor, I, I did research, and my daughter and I were doing research. And we actually reached out to a number of parents who had kids with a similar condition. So our doctors were saying, yeah, don't worry. She's young enough. She's going to bounce back. Everything's going to be okay. All you have to do is OT and PT and, and things will be fine. So that was, that was the advice from the doctors. And, and um, the advice from the parents or the, or the discussions we had with the parents were that most of their kids were still on respirators. Most of them, two, wow. even two years on were still in hospitals and on respirators and their limbs were still paralyzed. Only two of the kids out of 100 had had any significant recovery. And so there was this huge disconnect between what the doctors were telling us and what the parents were telling us. And it really brought back those feelings of as patients. And I 
And now I, ex- I experience this quite often is that we're almost expecting our patients to be passive participants as opposed to active participants. And so to answer your question, I think that is probably the, the biggest advice I could give to your audience is somehow find a way to actively engage the, the patients in, in the process. I think that's a, that's a great call out, Bodo. And from a practicing physician or a, an executive running a hospital to a, an industry leader, we're all patients or somebody that we love as a patient. And, and so the call out that you're making is be proactive as a patient and also as a caregiver and a provider, be more inclusive. Try to get your patients to be more involved. Right. Absolutely. Love it. And, you know, it's a great call out. So you guys reached out proactively to other families today. Luckily, there's a lot of ways that that we could do that. There's social groups like we had uh, Dan Hinman from the uh, Mayo Clinic talking to us about Facebook groups for patients. There's online forums. There's a lot of ways we could do this. So definitely a great call out by Bodo for everybody listening. Give us an example, Bodo, of how that led to better results for you and your daughter by being proactive. So we, we were in the hospital. Um, Lorelai and I were thinking about, uh, you know, researching ways in which other paralyzed people are being treated. And we found some examples of exoskeletons being used to help paralyzed people regain movement. And we thought, let's reach out to these research projects and these people doing this, and let's see if they can help us or whatever the case may be. And we reached out and, and they weren't open. They weren't open in sharing what they were doing. And they were helping you know, adult patients as opposed to kids. And so we decided, let's try build one ourselves. We don't know how we, to do it, but that's crazy. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm used to working in, in, that, in that environment. I still don't know how to do it, but we managed to get hundreds of experts from around the world to, to help us. How did and you it, do that? How did you get hundreds of experts from around the world? So the, the way I, I tackle these problems um, is to break the challenges down into bite-sized components first. Mm-hmm. So my daughter and I first, we sketched out this really, really rudimentary design of an exoskeleton. We wanted to 3D print some arm braces. We wanted to use some type of motor or pulley as an external muscle. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to have some sensors built into the sleeve uh, to try and pick up the, the very faint signals still going to her muscles and to use those as control signals for the exoskeleton. So even though the signals going to her muscles aren't strong enough to actually move her muscle, we still wanted to try and pick up those signals so that she continually sends the signals to her muscle, even though it's paralyzed or, or it doesn't move. We wanted to to force the brain to continually send signals that way so that she doesn't forget and in the hope that it would help the rehabilitation like we saw in the examples we researched. And so we, we broke down this project into those components. And, and so we, the first problem is, okay, we don't know how to 3D print, right? So let us find a community that can help us 3D print. And we, we did that. And then we, we didn't know how to, and then we realized, oh, we needed accurate measurements of Lorelei's arm. And then we didn't know how to do a 3D scan of her arm. So we reached out to communities doing 3D scans to help us with that. And, and are so, you reaching out uh, nationally or globally? This was globally. So we just did a Google search on, on like 3D printing communities. We found them on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Google Plus and, and all of these different weird places. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of how Elon Musk just decided to build a rocket. Like he had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was smart, right? But he had no idea how to build a rocket, but he just kind of did what you guys are doing. Anyway, just uh, not to take you off track, but it's like, 
inspiring. Go ahead, continue with your story. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. What I, what I find is fascinating is how much, how much cognitive surplus there is in experts all around the world. And, and most of these experts are stuck doing work that isn't really meaningful to them. And so when you propose to them, hey, listen, you know, we're trying to build this exoskeleton and we yeah. do it completely openly. Can you help us? You'd be surprised how quickly people are saying, yeah, hell yeah, you know, uh, let me drop out of my work for six hours and, and help these people. And I think the key is that everything we do is then shared openly, which is wonderful because then other people can take it further. But this was the process we used to, to try and solve these challenges. And again, we didn't have the expectation that we'd actually get it done, but this was our process. And what was really fun and interesting and exciting was four, four or five weeks after coming home from the hospital, we started to really enjoy the process. As soon as Laura and I came home from school, we used to you know, drop her bags. We wouldn't do homework. <laughs> uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't care about doing homework, but we, we immediately started working on this project. That's awesome. And we used to have Skype phone calls with crazy people from around the world. Man, and and these, awesome. these people would teach us how to wire an Arduino or how to hook up the electrodes or how to code a piece of software or all of these different things. And, and my five-year-old daughter and my, my three-year-old son used to get involved and my wife was sewing for us and, and all of these things. We had so much fun, which was, I also think, part of the healing process. She didn't accept her own condition. She was hopeful that, that something would happen. She was working actively on, on solving this challenge and she was actively you know, sending signals to her arm continually since, since day one. And all of this, I think, helped her in the end. What a neat journey and uh, definitely appreciate you sharing the, the ins and outs and uh, man, I'd be like, this guy is a cool dad. I don't have to do my homework. This is awesome. <laughs> I, get to, I get to talk to people from all over the world yeah. and do cool stuff that actually does make me smarter and helps me at the same time and, <laughs> and the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, love your story, Voto. Definitely appreciate you sharing it. As you were working on this problem, Share with us a, a mistake or a setback that you guys made that made you guys better. What did you learn from it? I mean, there were tons of, of things we got wrong and we had to tweak. Initially, the 3D printing was completely... We tried to print out the arm brace to fit her arm perfectly and then realized, well, her arm is going to continually change shape and grow and all these things. And so we, we redesigned it uh, using PLA plastic, which can be molded if you just apply some heat. And so we, we redesigned it and it turns out to be a lot, a lot easier to do, a lot easier to print, a lot easier to mold. And then we had a big challenge with, I guess the, the biggest challenge was trying to pick up arm signals from her, her muscles. So the traditional approach was using, you know, a standard muscle sensor and it would filter out the, it would normalize the signal and filter out some of the noise and then you could apply a threshold to that signal. And, and so, so as soon as you pull a muscle, it reaches a threshold and you could then use that to control the exoskeleton. And it, that whole process is almost the traditional way that a lot of the, the robotic arms use for amputees. They, they're working with healthy muscles and so the signal yeah. is pretty strong. But that process, that way of doing things really didn't work for us. I mean, it worked for me and we tested out a mile, it worked really well. But with Lorelei, I don't know the accurate numbers, but it, it's like she only had 2% of the signal going to her muscle and somehow we needed to pick up that really faint signal and all the noise that her body generates. And we just, we couldn't figure it out. And then Lorelei actually gave me the idea of, of using machine learning. We were, <laughs> we were 
stuck in, in Penn Station in New York trying to get home and, and our train was, was canceled. And up until that time, I was telling Lorelei that the signal going to her muscles is like a train. So the train is trying to go down the train track, but the train track is broken and can't get all the way to the muscle. And so with that analogy in mind, she looks up, up at the train board and says, Dad, you know, all of these other trains are still running. Why don't we look at, you know, all of these other ways? Maybe we can find a different way home. And, and it was a moment like that that inspired me to, to think, hey, you know, let's look at all the signal and let's try and find a, a new pathway. You know, let's use machine learning and pattern recognition. And then again, we didn't know what to do and we still don't know what to do. We still don't know how it's all done uh, behind the scenes, but we reached out to machine learning experts and pattern recognition experts. And it was through their advice and guidance that we managed to get this way of training a, a pattern recognition algorithm to pick up those very faint signals and use those as control uh, signals for the exoskeleton. Right. That, was, that was a really yeah, tough challenge we needed to overcome. Wow. So, you know, I love the analogy of the train and being open to new pathways. This idea, folks, of uh, the cognitive surplus, you know, engaging people that, that don't feel fulfilled necessarily with projects that could be rewarding. Some great ideas that if you dig really deep, you could find major application to whatever you're working on to help improve outcomes and also business success within healthcare. So, Truly appreciate these learnings, Bodo. How about yep. one, of your, uh, one of your proudest moments that you've experienced to date in your business or in your journey with your daughter? Proudest moment. This was about a year after we started this project. And um, my wife and I were in the kitchen. We were busy making food, I think. And Lorelai comes into the kitchen and she's not wearing her arm brace. And she, she looks up at, at us and she says, hey, mom and dad, guess what I can do? And she, she started to, to pick up her arm and use her arm without the use of the exoskeleton. And, and she was, wow. she, she had started to regain that, that movement. And it was, it was so sudden. That was the, you know, the, looking at, at her face, she was smiling. My wife and I were crying. But wow. it was seeing that, seeing the face um, of a child who's overcome her own challenge by doing something amazing, by not listening to, to the to generic advice, but by actually breaking some rules along the way, uh, you know, by not doing homework and by, by working on something important like this, seeing that face of hers was the proudest moment of my life. Wow. Yeah, I could definitely, you took, you took us there. Bodo and uh, I definitely felt like I was seeing your daughter move her arm. It was it was a, a proud moment and and uh, again, folks, don't take generic advice and don't give generic advice if you could avoid it. This is um, a great call out. Lots of words of wisdom by Bodo. Uh, uh, an amazing story. How's your daughter doing today? She's awesome. She's just a, a regular kid. Her arm is doing better. It's plateaued mm -hmm. now, so it's it's got about. I don't know the accurate numbers, but I, I guess about 40% of the strength back. That's um, wonderful. Her shoulder is still paralyzed. We haven't been able to train that. We haven't been able to build something for the shoulder. It's, it's, it's orders of magnitude more complex, but we're pushing forward slowly. But she's doing great. She's, she's having fun. That's awesome. Well, for you folks listening, and uh, maybe you got inspired by this story, maybe you work on shoulders or know somebody that does, we'll have an opportunity to reach out to Bodo 
and his daughter here after the lightning round. He'll provide the best way to contact them and maybe some collaboration can arise there. What would you say an exciting project you're working on today is, Boda? One of the most exciting projects I'm working on is, the, is a project called Open Social Innovation, which takes this process that, that I've been developing now over the last 10, 15 years and, and expands that globally. And it's about the way I, I work on projects is, I, like I described, I break it down into these components, which I call bricks, you know, a component for 3D printing, a component for um, yeah. um, all of these different things. And, you know, working on all these projects, a lot of these components, they, they don't work, but some of them do. And all of them, we, we structure as bricks, right? And so when I start a new project, I could look at all these other bricks that I've developed and see, okay, maybe I can clip some of these other bricks together and give myself a head start. Right. So I could clip in a business model brick and I can clip a marketing strategy brick to a new, new, whatever, you know. Yeah, for sure. And these bricks, they consist of social networks, processes, procedures, things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anything that, that you would think of doing within a regular business. But we're applying this to education, uh, much like the project that my daughter was working on her her exoskeleton, really provided her a superb education. We're working with a lot of challenge-based educational models where students, instead of sitting in classrooms uh, listening to lectures, they would actually work on real-world projects. So while they work on these real-world projects, they would work within this framework, building these bricks. And all of these bricks are openly available to every other student. And so very quickly, you have an, an open Creative Commons licensed library of bricks that students are working on becoming increasingly of higher quality, being able to be leveraged by students around the world. And hopefully we we get to a point where the quality can compete with some of the most well-funded organizations out there. And bricks can solve some of our biggest challenges. I love it. So folks, if you're curious about this, Check out the work that Bodo and his team are up to. It's www.dev4x.com. That's D-E-V number four X.com. Check them out there. Bodo, let's get into the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready, yep. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think echoing what I said earlier is actively engage the patients. Try to help them understand that that they have an active role. What really works for us is finding examples of what other people are doing and how they are struggling and what, what they are doing. And, and I hope that if you have patients with something similar to what Lorelai and I have, we've got a wiki which shows us everyone what we did and how we did it and all the problems we faced and, and, and how they can build their own exoskeleton. I hope that there are Examples like that, that you could show patients and encourage them to get actively involved in their own healthcare. I think that's probably the, for me, that, that's probably the, the biggest advice I can give. For sure. And uh, what's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? <laughs> so what's interesting about the project I worked on is, is almost none of the, the experts we reached out to were medically qualified people. A lot of engineers? Well, yeah, a lot of engineers, a lot of creatives, a lot of designers, a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. There's a huge pool of talent out there you don't need to if you have a problem with signal processing you know reach out to signal processing experts like people that work for the SETI project you know trying to decipher signals from outer space or we reached out to google deep mind folks that would that were training the pattern recognition algorithm to to detect cat pictures and and videos from the internet you know these are experts in their own right and can be used their their expertise can be applied to to anything including medical situations or medical challenges 
How do you stay relevant despite constant change? It's crazy. It's, it's like the rate of information being generated and the rate of knowledge being generated is, is, is so quick that as a human, we're never going to know it, everything. We're never going to know everything new within our fields. And that problem is going to become increasingly brought to the fore. And I think it, you already experienced it in, in medical science that if you're treating a new condition, you probably have to read through a thousand new publications on that or, or papers on that before you really understand it. And by the time you've you read those thousands, there's probably 10,000 more to read. And so this is an increasingly big challenge. And I don't have a clear answer to that. But the way I stay relevant, at least in my experience, is do what you can, read what you can, but realize that you're not the expert and, and therefore leverage the expertise around you to fill in your own gaps. But be humble and, and realize that your knowledge of a particular situation is, is never going to increase. It's only going to in- decrease because the amount of knowledge within that subject is, is, is increasing far quicker than you can ever learn. What book would you recommend to the listeners? No, my favorite book. I, I knew you were going to answer that question and I battled to, to answer that. Because it changes so often. And I guess I've read these, these two books over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one called Sapiens, which is a history of, of humanity. Really fascinating book about how cultures change and how humans have evolved and, and changed culturally. And, and then there's also one called Superintelligence. Uh, it's about artificial intelligence. I think I tend to never know what book to read. And the only way I, I actually end up buying books is, is to find someone I admire and then see what books they recommend. Mm. And just because they recommend it, I'll, I'll, I'll tend to read it. Love it. Love it. Some great recommendations there, Bodo. And folks, if you want to check out the full transcript of today's interview, please go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Bodo, B-O-D-O. Or also type in Dev4X. You'll find all the show notes there, including the short notes. So you could get a summary of what we discussed today. Bodo, before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could reach out to you to collaborate. Yeah, I think closing thought is definitely engage your patients. My doctors were absolutely fascinating people, lovely people. I love them to bits but actively engage us. We're ready to, to take on these challenges ourselves as well. And yeah, you can reach me through the website, devforex.com or my email, which is bodo at devforex.com. Outstanding, Bodo. Hey, this has uh, really been a fun conversation, inspiring. You've left us with some really great takeaways and uh, we thank you for that and appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.